Well, welcome back to all our viewers at Palestine Deep Dive and from all around the world. Uh, every week we put together a programme, we have guests, we talk about the issues as are affecting the Middle East, Palestine and beyond. Uh, and we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear your questions and on, on the topical issues of the day. Uh, my name is Mark Seddon. I used to be the Al Jazeera correspondent. I worked for the United Nations for the Secretary General for a number of years and for the President of the General Assembly. Back in the dim and distant, and because I guess some of the questions and some of the discussion is bound to be today about the Labour Party, I was a member of the National Executive Committee and uh, Editor of Tribune. More importantly, of course, we're joined by Alexi Sale. Welcome, Alexi. Thank you very much for joining us. Alexi needs no great introduction from me. You know him, a great comedian, an activist, a writer, philosopher, all-round good bloke. Alexi, thank you very much. We're, we're going to open it up. I'm going to just begin by uh, asking you something about um, how it all began with you, for you, I guess, and what, what was it really that got you inter interested in... Uh, Palestine in the Middle East. I understand that you were at art college. One of your best mates was a guy called Wasim. Uh, you were an activist back then, but but what was it really that 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 pulled you pulled you in and made you um, uh, so got got you this great interest and passion in Palestine, the Middle East? Well, you know, it's just um, sheer ambition, really, because obviously associated with being associated with Palestine is a tremendous boon to your career opens all kinds of doors. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I met, I just, when I, I met Wasim when I was still at school, when I was like 16 or something, and I just found, I can't really, I just found them, I, I suppose I just found them very attractive as people, really. I, Wasim was my, I lived with Wasim when I moved down to London, and so um, I just inevitably got drawn into uh, pro-Palestinian politics, I think. Um, uh, you know, it's, I think it's just, uh, why, I mean, why wouldn't you, if you had a sense of justice, really? I mean, it's, the question is, why isn't everybody, you know, I, well, I know the reasons why people don't support Palestinians, but they, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the, it seems the clearest cut in justice, you know, in, uh, you know, the longest occupation in the modern world, etc. It's, you know, you know it, it's just it's just a very clear-cut wrong, which was done by us. You know, people say, oh, why aren't you campaigning about, you know, Myanmar? Well, I, you know, I mean, I would, but one, you know, it did, we fucking caused this. You know, Britain, Britain caused it by giving somebody else's country away. And then, you know, Israel is, 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 is a kind of adjunct of the West, really, you know. So, you know, it's, it's our problem to sort out, really. We should all be concerned. Yeah, I mean, back, back in the um, sort of 60s, 70s, early 80s, the, uh, the media would often talk about um, bedsit trots and what have you. I don't think you were ever one of those. I was, yeah, I was, a, I, well, I was in, my, both my parents were in the Communist Party of Great Britain and my act of rebellion was to move even further to the left of them. So I became a Maoist. So I was in the Communist Party of, Communist, Par Communist Party of Britain, Marxist Leninist. Uh, yeah. You know, it was a small Maoist. We were the official franchise though of um, 
for revolution and chaos for both for a while the People's Republic of Albania and the People's Republic of China. So we had, although we didn't have, um, you know, we didn't have many members in the UK. We had an international reach, really. You know. Yeah. Well, I've actually I used to have the collected works of Enver Hotcher, but I, I don't know what's happened to them. I need to find them. But oh, the reason the reason I mentioned this was because. Um, you know, the bedsit trots thing and what have you. This was kind of a rite of passage for an awful lot of people who went into politics as a, a kind of a career in a way, because they a lot of them ended up in the Labour Party, which brings me neatly on to the current new leader of the Labour Party, Sir Keir Starmer, who I discover uh, was uh, something called a Pabloite. I had to look that one up. And I had to draw the comparison with the former Labour leader, currently suspended, Jay Corbyn, who, to my knowledge, was never a bedsit anything. Um, uh, and I have to say, I, and I'm just, I'll ask you a question, but before I do, I'm just going to say that I actually voted for uh, Keir Starmer as a member of the Labour Party because I did actually think that he would try and bring some degree of unity to this. I'd, be, I'd been abroad for a long time in America, and I thought I couldn't believe what was happening in Britain. I couldn't believe the degree of hostility and hysteria, largely from his own side towards Jay Corbyn. So I voted for Keir Starmer. Now. So I'm just wondering what, because I know that back in 2017, you went to lobby him about Palestine. I don't think you got to see him, but I do think you said, well, I think he's all right, basically, on this issue. I mean, but if, <laughs> I'm not sure if you were to go and see him tomorrow, what would you say to him? You fucker. <laughs> um, I, well, I, I think that, I mean, I think that what you're seeing in Starmer is a man without principles really, who has only ever been focused on power. And I think certainly a lot of those ones who started out as trots, but they pretty rapidly made that journey from, um, you know, because it was it was useful, I, I guess it was useful for them to be perceived as left when they were young. And then they make that journey from left wing to right wing really. Uh, and um, I mean, David Graeber, the late David Graeber before he died, he, wrote a very interesting article about how the most vociferous um, opponents of, of Corbyn were often those who had started out on the left and moved to the right. And he kind of theorised that because they had sold their souls for power and money, there was a kind of little core of, I, I'm interpreting his article slightly, but there's a kind of core inside them that knows that tiny little bit of them still that knows that they have betrayed their their former selves that they are acting out of base motives and, and so that's why they are becoming that's why they are the most vociferous because they're trying to dampen that voice inside them that's saying you are sold you've sold out whereas of course the thing about Jeremy Corbyn was that because he'd never sold out because he'd never betrayed his former self he was authentic he's a very you know, you'd never see a man more at peace with himself, you know. And whereas it's Starmer, you're seeing, a, 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 I think, a, a wildly ambitious little man who, who will do anything to, to become prime minister, but also who, um, uh, you know, there's a little time. I mean, maybe I'm, you know, maybe this is psycho bubble, but it seems to me there is a tiny part of him, as like as David Graeber theorised, that 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 knows, uh, you know, 
knows what he has done. And so he has to, as I say, he has to, he has to silence that voice. But I also, because he's my MP and I knew, I knew, you know, I, the shenanigans of the, of his branch, that the, that the, the right wing in his branch were, in this branch, you know, where, um, uh, we're, we're, I mean, they're all, all kind of unpleasant people. I mean, I've been, got my own, I've got my own uh, podcast and I, I sort of, I'm just kind of trying to develop a thread about just how <laughs> horrible right-wing people are, you know, I mean, just horrible, horrible people. And the stories I heard, you know, I'm sure other narratives are available, but the stories I heard from inside that branch, just the most unpleasant, rude, aggressive, hypocritical people, those on the left. And of course, the, where's the, you know, on the right, sorry, whoops. On the right, uh, you know, whereas of course the left are all. I mean, the reason people are on the left is because they do believe, you know, foolishly in a way, they believe in. They are kind, decent people, and uh, uh, you know, they they. That's why I guess we get beaten all the time, really, because we don't. Uh, oh, I didn't think he was going to do that. I didn't think Keir Starmer was going to enact the Stalinist purge in which every single dissenting voice would be expunged from the party. You know. Well, look, and we're asking for people to send their question. Uh, Alex Bustos, he says, uh, hi, Alex, you always loved your work. Thanks for speaking out on Palestine. But, but getting back to what you were just saying then, I mean, there's another thing which is, you know, not to get too damn deep and dirty on it, but one thing that always struck me back in the day, that an awful lot of the people uh, who had kind of a moved from the left uh, and become these very sensible, like the media calls them centrists. I could never quite work this out because many of these people I came across were often far to the right of your average Shire Tory county councillor, but there, there we are. Yeah. Um, but what the one thing they did, um, that one thing they did sort of have in common with their past was this whole concept of democratic centralism. They, they inherited that bit of the old CP, if you like, or the, but they forgot the politics, you know? Yeah. Um, but look, we've got now we've got a, a question. And I, I have to tell you this, uh, Alexi, this guy is no relation to me whatsoever. His name is David Seddon. Right. Actually, he was my, a former lecturer of mine from the University of East Anglia many years ago. Not that the only people you can get to email in are relatives. Things are hard. We're yeah. <laughs> rustling up the Seddons, which yeah. is Roman for settlement between two hills, by the way. It is. Anyway, so uh, I mean, Anglo Saxon. David Seddon says, how, do, how does uh, Alexei react to the suspension of the Labour Party of several prominent uh, left Jewish activists in recent days? Well, it's obvious that, I mean, because we are, and we have been for a while through the looking glass here on, you know, in, in where, if, if sanity ever prevails, this period will be seen when Jews are being suspended for anti-Semitism, you know. It, it's like, how does that fucking work? You know what I mean? It's like... Uh, it's if the re and the, but the re, you know, because the, the press stays silent on it because they have bought into this narrative and because it serves the interest of the establishment. Uh, you know, it's not nobody is highlighting the um, the absurdity of it really, apart from you know a few people on the left. It, it is the most. There is nothing in it. There, it is evidence-free. These suspensions of like Moshi Makawa and uh, Naomi are—they're entirely uh, without 
foundation apart from if you're trying to expunge you know apart from again if you're trying to expunge people with personal decency from the party with, with people with a sense of morality then yeah you know um so uh i i, I mean i think we've been in this place for a long t for a while now it is um you know i grew up in a a different age when you, you know you were free to say what you wanted really and I don't know what difference it made, but I mean, at least you were. The, we live in an age now when you have to, you know, you really, yeah, there are a lot of people, it's not paranoia, there are, if you're on the left, there are a lot of people out to get you. And well, I mean, I have to say, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we're not hearing from a lot of people today because they are a bit nervous. And I know this for a fact because people have been in touch with me. I mean, I've got nothing to lose. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't care what they do, but there are people who are Labour councillors, who are Labour Party members, who are saying to me, um, well, actually, we like what you're doing on Palestine deep dive and what have you, um, and we're very upset about what's happening, uh, but we don't, we don't really dare speak out at the moment because the And I think that is a quite an extraordinary thing in itself. The it's actually, amazing thing. If you think, you know, you know, if you think that exactly people can say, we are afraid to speak out on an issue which is, you know, which is just a moral issue, which you can take different positions on, but which you, there are perfectly reasonable grounds to speak out in a way that you are being forbidden to speak out. Uh, obviously, if you're in the Labour Party, uh, particularly, but even also on the um, outside the Labour Party, there's a, you know, there's a fair old degree of intimidation, really. And, um, it's uh, you know it's a, it's a really um, I never thought I would live in a in an age like like this really and the only reason perhaps I'm so you know because I grew up in an earlier age I, I don't know if I was a comedian coming up now I don't know how I'd feel really whether I would again you know people are very good at fooling themselves whether I'd self I'd censor myself in a way I'd self censor you know and not. Uh, uh, I don't I, know really. because you are you 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 know you want you, you because I've had my career or I you know my career is kind of unassailable. I'm free to speak out, but if you're a young comic and more, you know, what matters to you more than anything else is your career. You're desperate to express yourself, and you think, well, there's this subject that I, I well, I mean, no, but I mean, this is obviously Palestine, but also you know socialism in general and sport and Corbyn. There's this whole raft of subjects in which if I speak out my career will be in danger. Well Rich, Richard Baldwin says um, three cheers for Alexei. Um, Corbynism seems to have revealed how far right the centre has moved and exposed huge numbers of so-called anti-establishment comedians. Thank goodness uh, Alexei is still joking for the left. Um, Robert in London asks has there always been such hostility to anti-Zionist Jews within the mainstream Jewish community, and mainstream in, or has the left generally that is now only being exposed as people shine a light on it with Corbyn, etc.? Or has it been intensified over the last few years? You're asking me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as um, as a, somebody who's always act, been an activist for Palestine, I think that. I noticed and I, that round about, you know, we were very, you know, you felt in the early 2000s, you know, with the anti-Iraq war movement and the boycott divestments and sanctions movement really taking off, particularly in the UK, you felt like, yeah, we're finally getting somewhere. But of course, the, you know, our enemies are infinitely resourceful and highly driven because I think they're driven in a way by 
you know, dark forces in a sense. I mean, their their own their own internal motivation is, you know, is often quite a, a, a black thing, you know. And so they think about this all the time. They're endlessly. And so my understanding is there was a kind of the, 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 the kind of Zionist lobby. They had a kind of conference in like about 2003 where there's the idea of equating uh, pro-Palestinianism with racism, with um, anti-Semitism was kind of raised. And you started to sort of see examples of that. They'd kind of beta test it, you know, as an idea of kind of accusing you of being anti-Semitic when you were advocating for Palestine. And they kind of tested it, tweaked it, refined it. And then, um, you know, brought, you know it, 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 it's, they've kind of brought, the, that idea has been brought into the mainstream now. There are effectively any criticism of Israel, uh, particularly from Jews, is, uh, is, is anti-Semitic. Yes, you see, when I when I was growing up, I'm, I mean, I can, I'm just trying to think of the more totemic Labour Party figures who probably would have seen through all of this a mile away and would have knocked it back very, very quickly in short order. You know, Michael Foots, Barbara Castles, the uh, Ian Mikados, Gerald Kaufmans, uh, Tony Benz. These, these uh, perhaps it's also because there's a, I don't know, a, a poorer calibre of political leadership because it is pretty plain to anybody watching it that. Uh, Israel, the government of Israel, it's a right-wing government of Israel. Look at the Likud parties in power; has a very clear uh, agenda. You can't blame it for trying it on. Uh, no, but no, no, okay. yeah, I, I tip look, my hat to It's highly effective, you know. And so, here, so here we are in this situation where where it is becoming more difficult. For instance, I just put this to you as well. I mean, I just had to, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I think about three days ago. Lisa Nandy, who, who, as you know, she's the shadow foreign affairs spokeswoman. She spoke at a conference and she she said that the BDS movement, she's never really agreed with it. Boycotts don't tend to work. You need to bring people together. And I thought, well, where would you have been back in the anti-apartheid uh, days, uh, uh, Lisa? But then I looked it up just before we came on and I discovered that she'd been saying exactly the opposite as far back as June when she was calling for sanctions on Israel if, the, if there were further illegal settlements. So here we have it. I mean, what do we do? Go round and round in circles. Um, what do we do with a situation like that when it's become, when, when the shadow foreign secretary has obviously been frightened into changing, going to a big and complete U-turn? Uh, well, I, I can't. I mean, I was, you know, damn you, Jeremy Corbyn, in a way, because I, uh, I was happy in, you know, in a haze of a drunken hour. I was... Before before Corbyn, I was just you know disillusioned with with you know all kind of parliamentary politics. And then for a while, Je Jeremy briefly made me believe that the Labour Party, um, you know, could be you know, a force for good in the world. And then of course now I believe I'm back to believe. I think it's a hateful organisation. I can't. Um, uh, I mean, it seems it seems. I mean, I um, was talking about this on my own podcast, but, but when. Lockdown started. I found myself almost in a kind of demonic possession, reading all, reading all these histories of the Labour Party. Um, I guess because I wanted to understand what had happened. Reading about the same events over and over again. I'm sure you're, you know, the crucial moments. Uh, I mean, both. And uh, I found partly that you know that it's not the first time that this has happened. That the first time that a left wing Labour leader took over the party was in 1935. 
and he was again ousted by the snivelling cowards of the PLP and then Michael Foot, who you know I always had problems with you know so I I, I can't I, I mean I, I actually think that I mean the left has got a terrible record of founding socialist parties in Britain so that it's the auguries are not good but on the other hand there are 100,000 200,000 really pissed off people now because of the maltreatment of Corbyn and you know there is I, I wonder whether for the first time there is a possibility of a kind of I mean whether any of those socialist campaign groups and particularly Jeremy would make the leap to another party I guess not really but it seems like there is I mean I think it'd have to be it wouldn't have to be people from our generation really that we're eternally discredited I think that really it'd have to be young people <laughs> well, well, I, well who, who knows you can come back into credit again let's hope but the thing well, is we can, be, we can be we can be they can ask us for advice but uh you know well, I think, you know but but what struck me what strikes me this is what I think that you know you're, you're hitting on a kernel of truth there because What's all these years? I mean, I knew Michael Foot ever so well. We had the Tribune office, and you know, I'm old enough to remember how he was treated. And then all of them, they're all every Labour leader in my lifetime, apart from Tony Blair, uh, has had it from the media big time. The difference with Jay Corbyn was that he had it from his own side. Yeah, this astonishing level of vitriol, uh, hysteria, which which sections of the media are quite happy to conflate. And so we are in the situation whereby I, I think you're right. The two wings of this. Labour, Harold Wilson said that it needed two wings to fly. These two wings are clearly incompatible now. Uh, and you do begin to want, I mean, you've also been very good over the years because you've said, you know, the left has been terrible with its infighting, you know, look how disciplined the right can be. And that's quite true. So if there is something that comes out of all of this, perhaps there's proportional representation eventually, and perhaps at last this horrible marriage of um, two relatives, they hate each other, two family members that hate each other can break up. And there can be something fresh and new. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, because I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I was completely uninterested in the Labour Party. <laughs> well, I think perhaps we should move off from the Labour Party, actually. I think you're probably right. So um, I'm Thomas uh, Morin, he says, um, uh, I think he's talking about, he's, he's been to, and I, I've, I mean, I'm going to ask you, have, I, I'm guessing that you've been to Israel, Palestine, you've been to the West Bank and, no? I haven't actually. No, I've been to Jordan. That's all. It's the closest I mean, I've got. I never... we, had, we had Gideon Levy on the other day, the journalist from Aretz, and he was saying part of the problem in Israel, amongst the younger generation especially, is you know, none of them, unlike him, you know, get to travel to the West Bank and actually see uh, in what's been what's been happening. But Thomas Morin says, having been to the area, and it's such a small area. It seems to me inevitable that neither population is going to disappear. So one state or some form of Swiss binational state <coughs> is a solution. Um, however, as a result of adopting the working definition on anti-Semitism, uh, this is considered racist, apparently. Uh, well, I don't know about that. But anyway, his question is, how do universities and associated organisations work to express the alternative messages? And does social media help or hinder progressing these messages? I don't know. Um, well, I think that obviously there's a great um, push. I, I, you know, profoundly disagree with the IHRA definition. I think it's a tool. You know, it's it's clearly being used as a tool to attempt to silence uh, pro-Palestinian voices. And so, you know, it's it's that's a problem, and it's a 
it's part of the assault on uh, on 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 the left, broader left, and particularly uh, uh, pro-Palestinian voices. But yeah, I I think I haven't believed if I ever did um, for years in the two-state solution. You know, and that's one of the one of the things that you sort of think is you feel so sorry for the Palestinians because they're betrayed by the other Arab nations, they're betrayed by their own leadership. You know, the PA itself is corrupt and, uh, you know, you know, does Israel's dirty work for it a lot. And, it's, you know, is a, and, and, you know, a one-state solution, I don't know how it's achievable, but it seems to me, you know, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if all, if all races and religions could live in, you know, in, a, in, a, in this, land, you know, some, whatever you call it, Israel, you know, it doesn't matter what you call it, but, you know, if, if everybody could live with equal human rights, from the you know from the Mediterranean to the the Jordan Valley you know wouldn't it be just the most wouldn't it be that would be a real refutation of hate that would be a real beacon against racism if you could have a state where you know Arabs and Christians and Jews all live together in in harmony I mean Alexi I mean you'll you'll know that when when people uh, push this out as a possibility people are people like you, people like me, people, it's a total impossibility. It will never happen. Um, but then, of course, you think about South Africa and you think about the apartheid regime, you think about the Bantu stands and what have you. And you think about the, you know, how everything came together. South Africa is a multiracial democracy. It's not perfect, but it's a multiracial democracy. Uh, Israel, Palestine could, as you say, yeah. secular, one state. Because, uh, of course, there are, there are yeah. Jews, there are yeah. Christians. There are, there are Muslims, or, and there are none of the above, all living yeah. there. Yeah, it would be, you know, be a, be a truly beautiful place, you know, wouldn't it be marvellous? Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously, yeah, there's a lot of people invested in uh, making sure that doesn't happen, but, uh, you know. Yeah, Richard Shepard says, Jews, Muslims and Christians all living in the same region, just like the good old days. Um, I'm not quite sure when those good old days were, but I, I assume that was a, in at the time of the Ottoman Empire or before. I can't say that I'm a great expert. <laughs> so uh, I'm just thinking also, I mean, we're seeing the, uh, the, 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 the dying days of the Trump administration. I mean, I, I know he hasn't acknowledged that he's lost, but, you know, it, he does appear to be going. But his Secretary of State, um, Pompeo, was, of course, in... Uh, Israel uh, the other week and travelled up to the occupied Golan Heights. Um, do you think that, you know, do you think that there's going to be much difference with the Biden administration coming in? Do you think that'll make much difference? Will there, will the embassy be moved back to Tel Aviv from, Jeru you know, from Jerusalem? I doubt it, really. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert in any way on, on, on United States politics, so I, but I mean, I think I think obviously the the um, you know APAC and the various pro-Israel lobby groups are very powerful, and you know that it, it would be it would cause, as we do say, it would cause Biden a lot of surus if uh, if uh, he, he he did move the embassy back to uh, Tel Aviv. So I guess he, I can't you know I can't really in a sense. I mean, given that that he is, you know, he's. Not, he's you know a centrist as we talked about before at best really that he's not he's not going to really uh he's not going to really want that earache i suspect so i mean that's it's a deliberate you know attempt to create facts on the ground isn't it and i 
Yeah, I mean, great if he does. Um, Kamala Harris, I think, uh, said that she would restore aid to the Palestinian. You know, I mean, that's just something that keeps them in their place, in a sense, keeps them docile. But I guess it's a it's a good move, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Pompeo also. I mean, I don't. I, my, my take on it is it hasn't been a, a huge success, but the boycott and divestment and sanctions campaign, which has been saying there should be sanctions against companies, as you know, operating out of the occupied territories, um, which has been pushed back on by the Labour Party, which seen here, um, and by Pompeo, who said that actually this the BDM, BDM this this campaign should be classified as being anti-Semitic. I mean that that pushed the boundaries yet further. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? What you said about what Pompeo said? Uh, well, I mean, it's all part of the same nonsense, isn't it? Really, to you know, to to, to classify a, a a peaceful mode of protest in which you <laughs> don't buy some dates, but buy some other dates. That by the act of not buying some dates, you are indulging in an act of hatred, of Jew hate, of the most vicious kind, by not buying those dates. I mean, it's, it's bullshit, isn't it? It's nonsense. It's, you know, if you examine it on that level, it's egregious bleeding nonsense. And, you know, but uh, it, it, it gets traction because powerful people say it. You know, if powerful people say nonsense it's taken seriously and, and you know the media the right media everybody you know everybody's invested in buying into this nonsense yeah i mean the uh, i think you know u.s military aid to um israel is something like three and a half billion a year it might might even be more mm -hmm. but there's a wider question and it's being asked by some of some of the people who are sending questions and which is about military spending per se uh, you know, we're seeing an increase in this Tory government's decision to s substantially increase defence spending. How do we afford all of that at a time of um, austerity and a time of pandemic? Yeah. How, how on earth can we afford all of this? Um, uh, well, we, uh, well <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an anomaly, really, in... Uh, on the left, I think, in that I'm actually fascinated as a lefty, but uh, I'm fascinated by military equipment. So I'm very, I'm probably the only comedian who has a routine about the um, uh, McDonald Douglas Lockheed Lightning, whatever it's, my, the Lightning F-35B, Lightning 2 F-35B. So I am fascinated by military hardware and I watch all those programs on the um on, on the yesterday about the war and stuff and i can tell you the difference between you know the panzer five and the panzer four and the panzer six and Jagdpanzer. so i'm kind of fat, so i have a i have quite a, a a a deep knowledge of um military equipment uh what i mean it's it's interesting isn't it that that you know one of the things that eisenhower in retrospect of course you know is the last the last US president to act against Israel by making them withdraw from Suez and so forth. But he warned about, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know, you know, are aware of this. I'm not saying anything particularly revelatory, but he warned against the military industrial complex that he could see that the United States, which hadn't really had an arms industry before the Second World War, that this, um, this industry had taken on a life of its own, you know, and 
it had become very powerful. It, it's incredible. I mean, it's amazingly profitable, you know, because and you also you're making. I mean, one of the things that, that's always been like a that fast. I mean, kind of is most of the stuff that the British Armed Forces are equipped with is fucking garbage. It's it's not even. It's made by one company for a start, which is British Aerospace. It's various arms. You know, the ships. You know, we've got these destroyers that can't sail when it's hot. We've got these aircraft carriers with no aircraft on them. And the, the you know, the F-35 that's supposed to equip them is, you know, we had the, is, you know, it's called the plane that broke the Pentagon. It's a piece of garbage. Um, uh, you know, we had these, this, uh, our assault rifle, the SA-80, which ejected hot shells. And if it was a left-handed shooter, it ejected hot cartridge cases into the ear of the, uh, the soldier firing it. Um, you know, boots that fell apart. I mean, it's, so. Lexi, I have to say, my, my dad was in the army. I've still got his army shoes. They're still going strong 40 years ago. They must be so old that they're. Um, but anyway, look, I've got a Gulf question. One, yeah, but if he if he uh, if he'd served in the Gulf War, they would have fallen apart. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Pair of trainers made in uh, made in Taiwan. They would have lasted. You know, them sort of trainers you buy from a from a guy, you know, on the beach in uh, Gambia. <laughs> <laughs> the new stuff. <laughs> he had, he was in the operations room in Cyprus at the time of one of the threatened uh, Turkish invasions, and he got a call from the Turkish commander, and he said. Uh, so, excuse me, are you the officer in charge? And, he's, and my dad said yes. He said, "Well, we're a bit concerned. We're about to um, we're about to to invade, but we, we think our maps might be a bit out of date. Can you update us on where the British sovereign bases are?" <laughs> anyway, look, Richard Shepherd says, uh, and this isn't a pun uh, because you were referred to Eisenhower there. Eisenhower's warning was his parting shot, and I, I, it was yes, it was. Well, it was amazingly uh, prophetic, really. It is, you know, and in a way, you know, at least the fast food industry just depends for its expansion and its profits on people eating fatty garbage, you know. The thing about the arms industry is it needs the arms, the military industrial complex is it needs people to kill, you know, it needs war, it needs to create wars and... Uh, uh, and obviously also is, you know, the Israeli arms industry is very plugged into the worldwide um, you know, Ilbit systems and so on. Yeah, it's very much plugged into the worldwide arms uh, in well, network. If I may, we talk, Thomas Morin has just sent this. He said, uh, "Is it the case that Israel, uh, which who has been accused of showcasing its uh, battles in Gaza as a means to sell weaponry to third countries, as battle tested?" I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Much, do you know much about the Israeli arms industry? Is there? Is it a great export uh, industry as well? Yeah, it's very. Um, it, it's it, it's getting. Um, it's getting larger and larger. Yes, there's this particular film called Ilbit Systems that makes uh, drones. And I think I, I I might be wrong, but I think that the um, in the recent conflict between uh, Azerbaijan and um, the Armenians that they, they were using Israeli they the the Azeris the Muslim Azeris they were using Israeli drones. I think I might be wrong about that, but I feel uh, yes, they are. They are very, and yeah, they've they've had a chance to uh, to battle test their. I'm just I'm just thinking now. I mean, there's a change of administration in in Washington. Um, there, there there is going to be some change. Not so there will be a difference. Not a huge difference. A lot of people seem to expect, but there will be uh, at the UN a new UN US UN ambassador who actually 
be serious multilateralist. Um, I mean, do, do you think that the, the world begins to become a bit more focused once again on at least trying to ensure that UN resolutions are followed through and more pressure is put, about, put upon Israel to actually abide by them? Really, I've seen very little evidence of that. I, I, um, you know, it would be nice if it, if it did happen. I um, uh, and obviously the, the the forces of the right in Israel are fighting very hard to um, to make sure that that doesn't happen. Really, uh, I you know, I suppose you wouldn't be on the left if you didn't. You didn't believe that impossible stuff can happen. <laughs> but it would be nice, you know. I, I, I would be. It would be lovely to think that there would be some progress. Uh, there are, you know, there are powerful forces ensuring, trying to ensure that there won't be. There's another. There's a question here from Alex. Um, hi, Alexi. Can you speak something about Edward Said and what you thought about him, um, and what influence uh, did he have on you? If any, um, <laughs> well, I didn't. <laughs> um, no, he seemed. Well, I met him a few times. He seemed a very powerful speaker. Um, uh, I, 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 and I, I chose him for. Um, I did that thing. It was fairly unpleasant. What's he called? Matthew Paris. Called Great Lives. Yeah, Matthew Paris. Paris. Um, uh, I, I chose Edward Said for my. Great lives, and then realized I'm, I'm a bit prone to this. You know, comedians, you know, we sometimes have a tremendous sense. We can talk with great authority without knowing anything. And so I choose Ed, I chose Edward Said um, for my great lives, and then only realized when I got to the studio that I didn't really know anything about him, <laughs> apart from having met him a few times and thinking they seemed like, you know, he'd made some good speeches that I hadn't read orientalism you know that i really knew that it was actually it's uh, it's uh, it's an ob it was an object lesson for me and not one i necessarily that 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 i should i should at least bone up before i uh, but i think he was you know i think he was a force for good but uh, I'm not the expert. Well, I, I did. I did listen to you on on Edward Said, and I, I, we didn't prompt that question either. And I thought you were pretty good on him. Look, here's here's Roger Reese. It shows my ability. It shows the com comedian's ability to busk when they know fuck all about a subject. <laughs> so, uh, well, here, here's Roger Reese. He asks, um, "How do Alexi? How do you come to terms with the religious aspect?" I saw an interview with a Jewish settler in the West Bank. He was asked. Why do you want to build your settlement on Palestinian land? And uh, he, he was baffled by this. He, he, he replied, because God gave it to us. So how on earth do you address that kind of response? It's difficult, isn't it, really? Again, um, you know, human beings have a tremendous capacity to lie to themselves about their own motives, really. I think I remember a Palestinian saying to me, talking about the settlements and saying, who those settlers are is often people who failed in the United States. They're people whose life, particularly in the United States, hasn't gone that well. And so they've, they've lit on being a settler as finding somebody, you know, to punch down another cliche. But I mean, they found somebody that they can pick on. And they, and so they invent this idea that, you know, that God gave them the land and, it means that you don't have to examine your motives. You know, I mean, I think that I, 
I think that I and a lot of people, people on the left, the best people on the left, we continually examine our motives. We say, is this fair? Is this just? But if you're some racist, really, some racist settler, and you've, you've, you've kind of invented this idea that um, uh, God gave you the land and that God, you know, and he's, I mean, the settlers are not alone in that. There's a lot of evangelicals, a lot of people who believe the same. I think it's very difficult to to argue against really it's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate it's an unfortunate aspect of of the human self you know human nature that the people yes and based kind of psychological motives they give themselves yeah. a kind of free pass you know and you could also say there's nothing particularly new about this because I, I my guess is that a lot of those, those those settlers who went to Rhodesia or Kenya or Algeria or Angola yeah. they probably said, well, the Queen gave me this, you know. Yeah, and the um, Queen is anointed by God, you know. It's not a so, I, yeah, how, it's how you deal with it. I I have no idea. Palestine, but at the same time, um, you know, we have been able to historically say uh, that, for instance settler regimes in Algeria had to either accommodate or you know things bad things would happen and they did bad things did happen in Algeria most of the French colon as you know ended up leaving the same in Angola South Africa was very different um well different reasons I suppose you know the Afrikaners uh, had been there an awful lot longer but in the longer run, but it's very difficult now to 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 talk about this and, and this without causing enormous degrees of controversy and upset and what have you but the reality is that Israel is, for the most part, um, and more recently, a settler state. Uh, and so to, to reach an accommodation would seem to me, uh, to most people, I guess, to make great sense for everybody. Uh, and it shouldn't really be too controversial to say that. No, it's, a, it's certainly, you could, uh, you know, even if you, you know, it should be a, a notion that you could discuss, but of course it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of work going on to make to make it, you know, mm -hmm. to obscure that reality or even argue in that reality, really, yeah. Um, Look, there's a question here. This is from Sam uh, Bahur. Uh, Sam says, if you could advise the Palestinian leadership, and this, this is a new role for you, you see. Uh, <laughs> you could advise the Palestinian leadership on one thing they could do in the UK to advance the struggle. What would you tell them? Oh, I've no, I know. I, I mean, I think that, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I think there is a, there is a, in a sense, there is a Palestinian Mandela, and that is, I always get me Barghouti's mixed up. Omar Barghouti, the one who's not in jail. Mm, yeah. I mean, it seems to me to be, you know, somebody who's, who, who's a wonderful speaker when I've, you know, he's fluent in English, which is, uh, uh, um, you know, an advantage, you know, unfortunately, it has, you know, really, it's funny, uh, has really, and but, it, you know, it's dedicated to peaceful struggle and to civil society. And he, he, he um, you know, he, he seems to me, I mean, in my limited experience, I don't, you know, he seems to me to be the perfect representative of Palestine. But because he's not part of the, P, the, the PA, uh, that they conspire against him. I mean, I think I may be being unfair to them, but they, he doesn't get any help from them. And obviously, clearly, the Israelis do everything they can to. You know, he was invited to speak, wasn't he, at the last Labour Party conference, and he got his visa from the UK government the day after the conference finished. <laughs> um, I'd put Omar Barghouti in charge. He seems like, as far as I can tell, he seems to talk 
tremendous. Well, there we are. There's the advice. Um, well, now look here. Guess what? We've heard from um, somebody called Ian Williams in New York. <laughs> you thought that might happen. Ian says, uh, do you ever get the feeling that bad as things were when you started lampooning idiocy and reaction, now cynicism and hypocrisy have overfulfilled the plan? Uh, isn't it a challenge deriding them now? And where is the indignation when people like uh, Lisa Nandy disappear up their own rectum to applause. And as for Michael Gilligan's question, which I don't think we've got to, our famous CPBML ordered me to reverse my vote and I left. It's a good job they never discovered anti-Semitism as a control mechanism. Yes, well, as we, Ian Williams is a friend of both of us. He was, uh, when I was in the CPBML in Liverpool, he was our he was our Ember Hodger. He was the Scouse. <laughs> Ian was the Scouse Ember Hodger. Um, uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a, we are, I, I've never known a, a world like this, really. It's, I mean, in a sense, it's for somebody like me, it's a, a tremendous opportunity because, I mean, my. Hello. Hello. I freeze Sorry. Oh, hello. Hello. Am I back? We're back. We're back. back. We're back. Yeah. Am I back? Yep. You're back. I'm a bit far away from my router. I think there's a, there's a slight, from slight from my routing room. problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we have a slight problem. Oh. Hello. You got me. Yeah. yeah. I'm going better. closer yeah. to the router. Yeah, is that better? That's a lot better. That's yeah. a lot. Better. What was I? What was I bloviating about? You were bloviating about uh, Brother Williams in New York. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was saying my about my rate. I mean, sandwich bar that it, it it trended at number one on Twitter, which for a for a you know with. Uh, Radio 4 show where the usual demographic is people 85 plus. It was unheard of because, you know, Twitter is a relative young person. And it gets a massive, you know, younger demographic. And it, that episode one was an entirely pro-Corbyn uh, episode. And people were just saying, thank God somebody's saying this. So in a sense for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity, you know, to, 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 to capitalise, you know, get, get massive viewing figures or listening figures because... I'm the only person doing it. I'd like there to be somebody else. I don't, you know, but it's... Uh... Yeah, actually, Alexi, on this point of, um, you mentioned the, the sandwich shop. Um, Thomas Morin says, um, some of the nicest food I ever had was Palestinian, albeit not cardamom coffee. Palestinian salad is very zesty. And in general, there's plenty of extraordinary food for a veggie to dine on. Alexi, yeah. did you try the cuisine during your time in Jordan? If so, what do you think? And uh, are you as frustrated as I am when this cuisine and food culture is relabeled as Israeli? Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's one of those kind of wars, isn't it, where they, uh, 
yeah, Israel is is trying to claim uh, a lot of Palestinian cuisine uh, for itself, really. Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, I think when I was I did a documentary in uh, in Syria years ago, and I labelled it as as East Germany with hummus, really, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> which didn't didn't uh, it didn't make it didn't endear me to the Assad regime, I think, but. Uh, uh, it, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, um, I think it's the best food in the world, Arab food. I mean, not just, obviously not just, it's not just exclusive to Palestine, but they, and it's sort of, one of the things I like is it's the same for kind of breakfast, lunch and dinner. It's bread and labni and hummus and, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing cuisine, you know, uh, uh, baba ganoush and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it is the best cuisine in the world in many ways, I think. Well, look, we've, we've only got a few more with, uh, minutes, but there's, a, there's still sort of a few questions coming through. Jenny uh, Hardacre, there's um, a question for you here, Alexi. Is there anything that we can do to counter the fact that the mainstream media has largely closed all opportunities for us to expose what's really going on, both in Palestine and in the Labour Party? Um, she says it's infuriating. If we ever get managed to get on the BBC, uh, this is JVL. I think that's Jewish Voices for Labour. Then people are not even allowed to complete a sentence. Um, Extraordinary. You know, yeah, I remember talking to Jackie Walker once years ago about her. She was um, when she was being interviewed on Channel Four News by Kathy Newman. And Kathy Newman's her voice was. It wasn't just the. Her voice was right up here in their chest, you know, it was full of anger, rage at Jackie, you know, just <laughs> so come on up here. And yeah, and, and, and you know, there's, there's there's the example of um the other week when um uh Louise Elman was on and um you know she was hardly interrupted, and then uh, Jenny Manson of JVL talked and was interrupted 13, 14 times by Kirsty Walk. It's a problem, really. I think that what you have to do is 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 uh, really try and um uh, all those left-wing news sites, the Canary, Squawk Box, uh, Novara Media, uh, they are, you know, we have to put our efforts into them, really, and, and, and give them money, subscribe, listen to them. I think that the... I mean, I think that, you know, there were, again, there has been... I mean, it's not... There has been a process of capture by the rise of the BBC News and Current Affairs in, in, in recent years, and... Um, you can't, you know, occasionally if you do get on, you, you know, the, um, maybe also media training, though. Maybe we should just mm -hmm. get some slick media. I mean, it's one of the things about Jeremy. I mean, God bless him. He wasn't the most adept. At, I mean, he could be He could be good on the media, but he could also, you know, when when an idiot is asking you idiotic questions, to lose your temper is, is, is a reasonable thing, really. But unfortunately, you know, I think that... Um, you have to be, if we could have somebody leading the left, it was really, I, I always think when, for instance, when Bernie Sanders, they tried to paint Bernie Sanders with the pro kind of Russia, pro Putin thing. And he, he just said, Bernie Sanders said, he said, Putin's a thug. Putin's a thug. And I just thought, yeah, you know, that's, there's none of that equivocation about, well, you know, if we look mm -hmm. at the geo, just say Putin's a thug, you know, and, you know, he's in, Trump is in his pocket, not me. But I just thought that kind of, um, you know, I just thought that was a lack of Jewish. You know, you need that kind of not not that fannying about, but just you know, get get to it. You know. Well, yeah, a lack, uh, there was a lack of robustness. I mean, around the Schiphol poisonings, I mean, it could have been that all could have been dealt with so much better with a. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So we need, you know, I mean, I think 
support the canary and squawk box and all well, that David, David said my, my namesake but no relative says um also please watch al jazeera I, yeah. say, I used to work for them they're very good uh, much better coverage of all world issues much better than the bbc or cnn well i just have to say i haven't been watching um bbc world or i haven't listened to the bbc world service for some time but i'm kind of struck now that at six o'clock um we do not get any news from beyond these shores unless we're very lucky. We might get two minutes of it. It's a quite extraordinary thing, the infantilization of things and how everything's become so parochial and domesticized. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, the, you know, I mean, I, I, I did that bit in my own podcast about, um, you know, if you've noticed that Laura Koonsberg is actually an anagram of lying Tory bastards. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's... Uh, I think that I think that the the correspondents have become much more part. I've become much more right wing, basically, uh, and uh, it's a problem. You know. It was certainly department still great. The BBC, the BBC yeah. does great comedy. It's only the news. Of course, it does because they've got to get you back on doing more of it. And the thing yeah. is, and but what, and a, a serious point though is this: is that actually. 10, 15 years ago, we didn't tend to know where most BBC correspond. Where which like, you couldn't necessarily tell which way they've. Oh, gone again. Yeah, I don't think it's me this time. It might be me, but yeah, right. Yeah, we've just dropped out again. Look, we've got we we'll have to we'll have we'll have to we'll have to bring this to a close fairly shortly. But I'm if I'm all right, I'm just going to take um one or two more little questions. Um, Phil. Phil says, uh, right now there are one million children under siege in Gaza. Uh, Corbyn was openly against all of this. Surely most sensitive people in the UK would equally be against, be against this too. If they heard politicians talking unapologetically about it, should Corbyn have been louder about all of this instead of shying away from it, he says? I think he should, yeah. I think that um, in the end, that it, I, I think appeasement never gets you anywhere. And I think in the early days that the, you know, his advisors and himself, they thought they could get away with toning down his more radical aspects. And um, I think it's a mistake. You can't appease, you know, if you try and appease bullies, they will, as we have seen, they will just take more and more and more from you until they've taken everything from you so yeah i think that he should have been robust i mean it's difficult you know when you're in the middle of um you know it's hard to think straight sometimes when you you know you're under such assault but i think that uh, i think certainly the lesson that the left needs to take one of those lessons is don't give an inch don't back off at all don't betray your own principles you know and always just state your own position unequivocally because anything else they'll have you you know well look um actually we've got people getting even more topical paul maloney is saying due to our one or two slight technical issues this is what happens when there's no national broadband what do we want there's richard shepherd faster broadband when do we yeah okay um on it goes so listen um we should say one or two people say also subscribe to palestine deep dive yes absolutely we should um of course we should uh, and um also we have here uh lisa stevens saying hey lexi and linda hope you're well hi uh, linda see you sunday <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh yes um diane pearson what about your mum what does that mean 
Duna done? My mum, my mum, Molly, Molly Sale, comrade Molly Sale. Yeah, well, they used to... Eh? Diane's Luke's mum. Oh, Diane's Luke's mum. Oh, hi, hi, sorry. Yeah, Linda has to tell me. Yeah, she's one of the best people. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, that's one of the things I talked about, really. I mean, the, one of the great things about, I mean, particularly my wife getting involved in the left and on the Labour Party in, in this area, was the beautiful, beautiful people that I met on the left. They are the best people in the world, the kindest, sweetest, most, you know, do, they work, often work in the caring services. And, and to have a little shit like Keir Starmer labelling them as, as um as racists, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's the most spectacular injustice. But they were—it was a real privilege to meet um, Luke and his mom. Yes, I'm mean, just actually kind of trying. I was just trying to find something that I was going to because, of course, you mentioned Kirstama there very briefly. Uh, Angela. Angela Rayner is the new deputy leader, and she was talking about suspending thousands and thousands of people if necessary. I was trying to work yeah. out where could this all go. And I actually wrote to her and I said, look, if you can just try and be a proper deputy leader again, I'm going to give you this. <laughs> right, that's it. <laughs> there you are, there's an old Michael. Socialist Fox. memorabilia. How much is that worth? That's what we when like. Buy that? Old Labour memorabilia. You've got anyway. one of um, Hugh Gateskill's suits as well in a cupboard. <laughs> well, Michael... Shoes. His coat, his coat, of course. I mean, here, here's a classic piece of very early sort of fake news. You know, the whole of the mainstream media back in the early 80s was saying, absolutely outrageous, there's Michael Foote, the cenotaph, in a donkey jacket. Mm. Well, I know for a fact, because he showed me this coat, and we try, I said to him, can we try and raffle it for Tribune funds? He said, no. He said, because it's a very expensive Jaeger coat. And um, in fact, it was, it was brand new when I put it on, and the Queen Mother came up to me. She said, Mr Foote, that's a marvellous new coat you've got. Absolutely the right thing for this inclement weather. So there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well you know, then he says, thanks so much. It's, it's very nice hearing other sane people talking sense. As long as we don't just talk amongst ourselves, we must talk to lots of other people. Dorothy Macedo says, I remember, what does Dorothy say? Uh, <laughs> I, she, Anna, Dorothy says, I'm so old, I remember when the opposition voted against the government. Dangerous oh, what stuff. What a crazy Dorothy. idea that is. Why is that nuts? Why would they do that? My God. Yes, yeah, so there we go. Um, well, there we are. Dorothy and I had many battles. We were on the right side together all over all those years ago. Anyway, look, thank you. Thank you from everybody. We're getting lots of people thanking you for, for taking time out today, Alexi. It's been, it's been great having you. Yeah, sorry about my problem. Appreciate it. No, yeah, you're welcome. You've lifted a lot of people's spirits, <laughs> and um, we hope to have you back on again. Max Basta yeah. says thanks so much to you both. Thomas says thanks for your time. Richard Baldwin's given us a clenched fist. Applause and smiles from Anne Phipps. David Portier's cheers both. I think Alexi, get the second podcast up quick. It is morning. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Alexi. And that's all for us here at Palestine Deep Dive. We're going to take a break until early in the new year. We've got guests already lined up, uh, hopefully for then. Um, uh, Ronnie Casrills from South Africa is going to be on. Uh, John Pilger is going to be on. A whole bunch of people. Uh, we're keeping up the fight here and look forward to seeing you all in the new year. Thank you again, Alexi, and keep well, everybody. Thank you.